Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lead Hership Global Podcast. We're so glad that you made time to join us today. We are speaking with Deb Gabor. She is a renowned expert in branding and the founder and CEO of Soul Marketing. She is a two-time best-selling author, a keynote speaker, a media contributor, and more. And we could not be more excited to have Deb with us. You know, eventually, every single organization faces some sort of serious branding disaster. Think of United Airlines, Wells Fargo, Uber, and other companies whose tribulations made front page news. Through poor business decisions, corrupt cultures, or just plain bad luck, these companies experience major PR meltdowns, sending once loyal customers fleeing in droves. But you know, there's a right way to handle controversy and actually come out stronger on the other side. Using recent high profile brand explosions as a prime example today, we're gonna talk about how top companies that break their promises inevitably suffer. And we'll explore the routes that more agile companies have taken to fully recover after letting their customers down. Today, you're going to gain invaluable insight that will help your business build positive brand equity, goodwill, and the irrational loyalty kind of um, dedication that will support your company during the best and worst of times. As I said, our guest today, Deb Gabor, the founder and CEO of Soul Marketing, is an exceptional expert, and she will help you create powerful brand for your company that connects with your most important customers, the ones that are most highly predictive of your success. And I would say, Linda, leading expert doesn't even come close to describing Deb's passion for brands. What do I think is more accurate? I think we should call her a brand guru, a brand evangelist. Um, She's literally written the book on branding twice. With bestsellers such as Branding is Sex and Irrational Loyalty, she is the founder and CEO of Soul Marketing, a strategy-led marketing firm obsessed with solving major business and branding problems for clients in every industry. Companies throughout the world use Deb's brand values pyramid and ideal customer archetype and brand swagger questions to align their teams and articulate their brands to audiences. Deb also lends her brand authority with frequent contributions and commentary to all the major news outlets such as Entrepreneur, Forbes, Fortune, Media Posts, The New York Times, NPR, USA Today. I could go on and on. Business and marketing organizations regularly call on her as a keynote speaker, workshop leader, and they rely on her as an inspiration for executives to embrace the power of marketing and create marketing that sells. Deb, we are thrilled to have you here today. This is going to be such an amazing episode with you. Welcome. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here on the Leadership global podcast. It's so exciting. And listening to people read back my bio to me, it's almost like, Deb Gabor, this is your life. So I appreciate you giving airtime to that little piece there. It, it uh, definitely makes me seem like I'm all of the 52 years that I am. No, it makes you seem like you are all of the rock star in marketing and branding that you are. So I want to just jump right in for our listeners. So 
just tell us about your journey. Why do you have such a passion around branding and marketing? When people ask me what's my passion around branding and marketing, I have to describe it like a compulsion. I literally am compelled to share this information with other people. I grew up in the technology industry. I've been working, doing some form of marketing or branding, specifically in B2B technology or with businesses that have a technology-enabled value proposition, literally my entire adult life. And I came to this conclusion in about 2010 or so, so now going back more than 10 years ago, that all of the knowledge and information and frankly experience that I had amassed over the course of my career was something that could unlock potential in other people's businesses. And I read this great leadership book, which a lot of people a lot of people have read it's it's an oldie but a goodie and it's wooden on leadership which is written by the legendary basketball coach john wooden and in the foreword of the book he tells this story about how he can't not coach this means that when he was driving down the mean streets of los angeles he would pull over when he saw kids playing pickup basketball on a on a playground or on a school court he would say pull over the car and he'd pull over the car and he'd go over there and he'd he'd go and stand on the court and he'd grab one of these kids and turn them and change their hand position and show them a way that they could be really really excellent at basketball and he described that as a compulsion i have the same thing inside of me. So over the trajectory of my career, going from being like a baby marketer back in the in the old days, and I started my career at Bell Labs, and there's nothing more technologically oriented than the old Bell Labs. So, you know, walking down the hallways of Bell Labs were, were scientists and analysts and people who had won Nobel Prizes. And here I was, this lowly, young, recent college graduate marketer, um, you know, going from that all the way to this place where everything culminated in my career career in this compulsion to share that information with other people. That's what led me to do things like write books and then become a speaker and a workshop leader and consult with top companies and, and do things like what I'm doing right here to share that information with other people to inspire them and empower them. And the last thing I'll say about that is that my message around branding Marketers don't like me very much because what I've done is taken all of the esoteric academic stuff about marketing and kind of created this actionable framework that is designed for leaders and executives to be able to understand the power of branding, have a very simple framework for creating the strategic foundation of their brand that opens up new conceptual and hopefully financial territory for their companies. Yeah, Deb, and that's what you're famous for. And we're so, so um, honored to have you on the show today because that's what you're known for. And, you know, I think as we look around at brands today, it seems like purpose-driven brands are seeing a real surge of support, especially around young millennials. So how can the best brands in the world use their value and use their beliefs as a magnet to attract their most ideal, their most profitable customers. 
So one of the things that you said that really sticks out to me is, is about purpose-driven brands. And I'll say one of the things that we've learned over the course of the pandemic is that every brand has to be a purpose-driven brand. Every brand has to show up with purpose. And you mentioned those values and beliefs. So a brand is a magnet and it uses those values and beliefs as the polarizing forces that attract to them people who are aligned with and share those values and beliefs And if those brands are legendary and they're the best brands in the world, they also repel people who don't share those values and beliefs. And among millennials who started to come of age as major purchase influencers, probably going back about 10 years, we really started to see this seismic shift in terms of consumers being hyper aware and having a strong requirement to have the brands that they patronize really show their gooey insides, right? They they really expected that, that the brands that they use that become part of them echo their own values and beliefs, that they wanted to feel good about their purchases because millennials and now really every purchase influencer understands that the brands that they use, what they eat, what they drink, what they wear, what they drive, where they go on vacation, the movies that they see, the, the content that they consume all says something about them to the world, but more importantly to themselves. And so branding is about self-concept. And so this need to have brands align with your values and beliefs is really echoing the sentiment that brands are part of the people who use them. And millennials were driving that. And now really what we've seen over the course of the pandemic is an acceleration of a trend that started probably more than a decade ago. And I would say now is probably a more difficult time than ever for brands to be brands. That makes a ton of sense. And you've mentioned before that this idea of Amazonification is, you know, one that has really changed the world and made branding even more a strategic imperative for companies. So tell us what that is and what do you mean? So the Amazonification of the world is this process where uh, Amazon was just fulfilling its brand promise to the world, which is to be a platform for buying and selling everything, right? It's become probably the number one online shopping engine. If you search for anything, the Amazon link for that is what's going to come up first in Google search. If you're not on Amazon, you don't exist, et cetera, right? And Amazon has, in some ways, commoditized brands. It's unbranded brands. And then it's also created a space, a white space for other brands that are very, very strong who are looking to create a brand to emerge. Amazon gives companies and brands access to people that maybe they otherwise wouldn't have had access to before just because they're fulfilling their promise to be everything from A to Z, right? It's even baked into their logo. If you can envision that Amazon logo, it has that little arrow and and they talk about it. They call it the smile. It's not a smile. It's an arrow connecting the A to the Z. So everything that they do is sort of fulfilling that promise. And what happens is when people buy products from Amazon, in most cases, Amazon is the brand. And it creates this space where consumers 
are not necessarily clear on who the relationship is with. And if you are not intentional about building a brand that's full of values and beliefs that is aimed at this archetypal ideal customer and aligns with their values and beliefs, the brand is Amazon. So there are lots and lots of companies out there that are selling on Amazon and they're doing it in a digital marketing kind of way where basically they're placing ads, they're driving traffic, they've they've commoditized the business. When you commoditize the business, you commoditize brands and you make brand less important. And then you make brand even more important for the brands that want to be a brand. So how can companies use their social capital to charge a premium for the products and services? So rather than being a commodity, how can companies and brands use social capital built on value, purpose, and beliefs to actually charge a premium for a product and service that may be available elsewhere? So that question about how do they use their purpose, their values, their mission, their vision, uh, their beliefs, what they stand for to be able to charge a premium really goes back to the basis of brand strategy and brand foundation on the whole. And the best brands in the world are the ones that aim their brand at this singular ideal archetypal customer. So you've heard me mention a couple of times this ideal customer archetype. What that actually means is identifying like a single human being who is most highly predictive of your brand. Really, really great brands. The ones that leverage that social capital are very clear on who their brand is for. And I do an exercise with our clients and and with entrepreneurs and leaders all over the place to have them actually create a picture of who that ideal customer is. The magic of that is really taking a walk in the ideal customer's shoes. The best brands in the world are the ones that are aligned with that person. And they're very, very clear on who they are all the way down into the humanity of the brand. It's really, really about humanity. And so it's more than having a demographic profile. For instance, we're for, we're for busy moms, right? I, I don't know about you guys. I know a ton of busy moms. I could speak to an audience of a thousand women and I could say, raise your hand if you're a busy mom. And, and we'd get, I don't know, 800 people to raise their hands. I'm a busy mom. Uh, my, my child doesn't live at home. In fact, she's 23 years old. She lives on her own in New York City. She's got her own life, her own stuff. But I'm busy and I'm a mom versus somebody who maybe has a three-year-old at home and is running a business out of their living room right now, right? And so it's very important to have the clarity and be able to see in your, you know, in the made-up third eye, be able to see a picture of who this person is. What do they look like? What do they care about? What are their goals for their lives? What what is important to them in their lives? What do they get through the use of this brand that they can't get anywhere else? If you can be indispensable to people and make a deep emotional connection with them by elevating them in their lives, in their own self-concept, that's where the opportunity to charge more margin comes from. Because indispensability is really what creates that condition of irrational loyalty. And what irrational loyalty is, is that condition where people are so indelibly bonded to your brand that they feel like they were cheating on you if they were to choose an alternative. Irrational loyalty is the thing that allows you to charge a premium. It's the thing that allows you to bond with customers for life and become part of their lives. And more importantly, the story that they're trying to create for that. 
That makes so much sense. And when you say the words irrational loyalty, it makes me think about, you know, just what's happened in this country uh, with through this presidential election. I think we've learned so much and not that I want to flip anything towards politics, but you do mention in your book um, how the world has changed for world of branding and marketing has changed forever because of Donald Trump when he became president of the U.S. So tell us a little bit about what what you mean by that. And this is not a political statement. Right, You've got not. that exactly right. Donald Trump gave us a masterclass in emotional yes. branding. He did. And over the course of that 2016 election, we really saw that in his political campaign, where he went straight for people's hearts. And he went in and and he he gripped people in the heart where they hurt the most. And he made an emotional connection with them. He never talked about the product, right? He never talked about the functional benefits. He didn't have a detailed, lined-out functional plan and platform, which would be the equivalent of the features and benefits of a product. He really grabbed people emotionally. And as a result, we all turned our heads and we paid attention, whether you like him or not. And then he continued to do that over the course of his presidency. And we're still feeling the effects of it. So I always go back to the first place where this, where we really saw this be apparent during his presidency. And this was truly the turning point for brands. And that was the March on Charlottesville. And that was a that was a very, very significant time in the world of politics and also in the world of social justice and in the world of branding. And so what happened then was we saw with his response and his words and what he said about what happened in Charlottesville and the people who were involved, we saw brands that the leaders of major companies like Boeing and FedEx and a number of different companies who were part of his presidential councils, we saw them either move closer to him to say that they supported him and that they recognized his sentiment and they acknowledged him, or they split further apart. And we started to see this division where these brands were really concerned with either the guilt that they might experience by association or the bonds that they might experience by association. And if you remember, those presidential councils completely blew up, right? The other thing that happened that was really interesting, and I, I cover this in Irrational Loyalty, and it's kind of an interesting story. If you remember, those people who marched in Charlottesville, they were called Tiki Torch Nazis. They were called Tiki Torch Nazis. And the poor Tiki company, small company in Wisconsin, maybe 120 to 150 people, family-run business. When I think about Tiki Torches, I think about great memories from childhood. I think about luau's. I think about backyard parties. And unfairly, this little brand that didn't want to take part in any of this got thrust right into the center of the controversy, right? Hashtag Tiki Torch Nazis all over the internet. It went viral. And the way the Tiki company responded is exactly the way that brands need to respond in crisis. And so this is an example of one of those crises that happened. It was not their fault at all. I, I, I know that they didn't want to be associated with what was going on in Charlottesville. But one of the things that they did was they moved very, very quickly and made very public statements to say that they acknowledged humanity and all of the harm that was done to the humans that were involved in this. 
They said, we are not part of this. We don't support this at all. We stand for social justice, but more importantly, what our brand stands for is for bringing people together and celebrating with backyard summertime fun. That's what we've always stood for. And that's what we want to bring to the world. And so this was a really good example of how brands can show up with a set of values and beliefs, even in the face of turbulence, even in the face of a brand crisis that was not created by their own hand and use that opportunity to show what they stand for. So it's not enough today that if you are going to show up with purpose, it's not enough today to just be against something. You have to be for something. And this was one of the very early examples that came out of the Trump presidency that sort of has guided what a lot of brands have been able to do. And the most recent example of this that I see is the Super Bowl is coming up in about a week, right? And some of the mainstay advertisers from the Super Bowl that we always expect to see, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, specifically the Budweiser brand, we're always looking for a Clydesdale commercial. Coca-Cola and Pepsi are all sitting this one out because in many ways, it's a really, really hard time to be a brand. We have such a polarized society. We have so many people showing up with their values and beliefs and wanting to align with brands and brands wanting to align with them that there's a lot of risk that's been introduced. You can either use this time to make a statement by participating or not make a statement or deflect all of that stuff. And these are brands that are really weighing these decisions very, very heavily. And that really did start, I think, back with the the 2016 presidential election. That is such an interesting uh, way of thinking about a political situation and the impact of that political situation on brands. So being divisive as a brand may actually be a smart um, a smart decision. And I think that's brilliant. So, Deb, you've given us so much to think about. I got to tell you, this was like the fastest masterclass on branding I think I've ever been a part of. And I feel a little greedy asking for this. But as you think about the leadership advice that you've received over the course of your career, what one piece of leadership advice has really made an impact on you that you'd like to share with our audience? This is one of my favorite questions. Uh, The biggest piece of leadership advice is to not seek advice or give advice. I learned pretty early on in my leadership career from mentors, the the idea of communicating from a place of sharing experiences versus giving advice. So I seek advice from people that I'm throwing down a dollar to give me advice. So my CPA, my attorney, uh, you know, sometimes fashion consultants, the beauty counter, you know, stuff like that. So I throw down money. I'm asking specifically for their advice. In leadership, when people come for advice, whether that's clients, it's coworkers, it's people I'm mentoring and inspiring, it's other business leaders, I find that the best way to share is through the lens of experience. So for instance, Linda, if you come to me and you ask me advice, you're like, I have this problem. Uh, Here's something that I'm dealing with. And then I spew off a bunch of advice that starts with Linda, you should. And then you take my advice and it doesn't go well. We always have that between us, right? If you don't take my advice and stuff rolls downhill, we always have that between us. However, 
when you come to me and you ask me a question where you're looking for some advice and I sit back for a minute and I think about an experience that I had that is relatable and is relevant and I share with you a personal story in a really deeply authentic way where I say, I dealt with a similar situation in my own career or in my own life. And here's what happened. Here's how I felt about those things. Here's specifically what I did. And here's how it came out. You own that experience and you get to take away from that what you will. Now, I've used this technique and in my world, I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization and this is something that they teach when they onboard people into forums, which are these incredible peer mentoring groups with other CEOs, business leaders. I've used this technique for many, many years. I don't just use it in business. I also use it in my personal life. My, My daughter would tell you, she's like, oh, here she goes again. I went to my mom for advice and she told me a story about when she was 15 and this thing happened and whatever. Um, and it's really funny because I, I sometimes, uh, and I sometimes see like this visible back channel of communication that's happening in my company. It's like this incredible opportunity to work with my daughter as an adult in the business. But, um, you know, I, I, I've heard her talking to other people, you know, uh, about a story I might've told them that's an experience share that's designed to inspire them to kind of find their own way and determine their own path and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, she'll laughingly say like, oh, my mom just gestalted you, didn't she? Um, but it's uh, it, it's been really, really incredible and transformative to all of the relationships that I have in my life. I mentor a number of other women. I mentor accelerator groups. I have I have other CEO peers that that I do this with. And and what it does is it 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 puts all of us at the same level. And it enables the other person to take away from it the nuggets of wisdom that are relevant to them that then they can use and find it within them to figure out their own path. I will say that that is the single best piece of advice that I ever got. I, I It has been transformative to me. All of my interpersonal relationships, all of my business relationships, I do it with my clients. Uh, It's a way to sort of bring concepts to life through story. And it's something that bonds people together. It it really, um, you know, I'm I'm really, uh, I'm really in support of making deep emotional connections. When you know something about someone and their experience, it enables that vulnerability, enables people to feel comfortable and trusting in your presence. And it opens up the door for much, much more potential for people to do their own self-discovery, if that makes sense. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And what a lovely, lovely sentiment to say, I'm going to shine a light on my own experience and allow the other person to take from that what they need in order to apply it to their life as they see fit. So rather than telling them what to do, I'm going to share something very personal and very authentic in a very genuine way and allow them to make the decision. So um, I think that's both respectful and it's also... um, it strengthens relationships. It builds up relationships, which is really terrific. Deb, what a thrill and what a pleasure to have you on this program. Again, I feel like I have had a masterclass in branding and marketing, and I would love to have you back because I feel like we've only scratched the surface of 
incredibly interesting conversations around how to build a brand, how to market a brand, how to find your ideal customer, how to predict success based on that ideal customer. And those are all topics I'd love to dive into at a later time. So thank you for this first, I would say this first appearance on Lead Hership Global. Thank you. This has been really great. And I really like what you're doing. And I, I support women leaders everywhere. I grew up in a male dominated industry and then also being a very, very small percentage of long-term women founded, women run businesses. It is part of my compulsion to lift other women leaders up and we all need this stuff. It's been amazing. Amazing time with you, Deb. Thank you so much. And we are thrilled to have you and look forward to our time together again. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.